Are you confused and even troubled by some of the things you hear from popular Christian authors and podcasters, hopefully not us, and how they can affect you and your children? Are you excited to learn more about how you can recognize and challenge some of the lies that are being taught even in Christian churches? Well then, listeners, we're so excited you're joining us for today's episode. I'm your host, Katie Morgan, and welcome to Parenting with Ginger Hubbard. Ginger is the best-selling author of Don't Make Me Count to Three, Wise Words for Moms, and I Can't Believe You Just Said That. She speaks at women's events, parenting conferences, and homeschool conventions across the country. You can check out her parenting resources and find out when she's speaking in or near your area at gingerhubbard.com. If you enjoy this podcast and find it encouraging, would you prayerfully consider partnering with us by making a monthly or even a one-time donation? Whether it's a dollar a month or $20 a month, your support helps us to sustain this podcast and keep it on the air. So if you feel led to partner with us, just go to gingerhubbard.com support to donate any amount. And thank you to our listeners who have supported us. That enables us to further our mission to help parents reach the hearts of their children for the glory of God. If you're a homeschooling mom like me, then you know the excitement of peeling that protective film off a set of curricula, complete with brand new lesson plans. But as we all know, a week or so into those plans, life happens. Someone gets sick. Someone leaves their spelling book at the soccer field. Someone gets stuck on a math concept. And suddenly, those lesson plans are completely obsolete. This is one of the many reasons I'm excited to introduce you to the BJU Press Homeschool Hub. When life inevitably happens and our plans change, the Hub calendar makes any necessary assignment adjustments with just a few clicks of a mouse. But that's not all it can do. I can look at the Hub dashboard and quickly see how my kids have progressed through their courses, what assignments they need to finish, and how many lessons they have before each course is completed. There's also a grade book that will track graded assignments and create report cards. My favorite part is that I can keep track of our wonderful BJU press courses as well as any other outside resources. So I have one tool that keeps track of everything. It's almost like they asked a bunch of homeschoolers, hey, what's the most stressful part of homeschooling? And then they developed an awesome tool to alleviate those issues. Next, I hope they'll get to work on the housekeeping hub. To find out more about BJU Press Homeschool Hub, go to BJUPressHomeschool.com and watch the video to learn more. Again, that's BJUPressHomeschool.com. Listeners, we are so excited about today's guest. Elisa Childers is a wife, a mom, an author, a blogger, and a speaker. Uh, She was a member of the award-winning CCM recording group Zoe Girl and is a popular speaker at Apologetics and Christian Worldview Conferences. Elise has been published at the Gospel Coalition, Crosswalk, The Stream, For Every Mom, Decision Magazine, and The Christian Post. Her book, Another Gospel, A Lifelong Christian Seeks Truth in Response to Progressive Christianity, has become a bestseller. Elisa, we are so honored to have you today. Welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Well, Elisa, you may or may not recall that I cornered you after you spoke at our church in Georgia last year. I do. I asked you to come on our podcast because I just knew that our listeners would enjoy hearing more about this really troubling shift in the Christian church toward what is called progressive Christianity. But I'll be honest with you, I had no idea what that even was until I had already registered for your conference at our church. Mm. I had noticed that many of the authors and podcasters and bloggers that have grown in popularity uh, seemed to contradict the Bible in some really serious ways. I just wasn't aware there was a name for what's happening in our culture and how pervasive these lies really are. But before we get to those lies, can you give 
give us just a brief definition of progressive Christianity? And I know that's a big ask since you've dedicated two books and a podcast (laughs) to the subject. But for those moms listening who, like me, haven't even heard of it, can you just give a brief description? Yes. And you are not alone in that observation. I've had a lot of people reach out to me and say, I am, this is all around me, and I just didn't know what it was called, or I didn't have language for it until they watched a podcast of mine or read the book or, or something like that. So, uh, and, and there's a reason for that. Progressive Christianity is a very slippery term. It's very, very difficult to define. And the reason it's hard to define is because progressive Christians believe a broad spectrum of things about God and the Bible and Jesus. There's, uh, it's very fluid. It's constantly changing. And so because of that, people have often said it's like trying to nail jello to a wall. Uh, but I think we can nail jello to a wall if we look more at what they are denying rather than what they are affirming. And so, typically speaking, I think just a broad definition of progressive Christianity would be that it's a movement of Christians who are coming up and out of the evangelical church who are embracing a lot of the conclusions of theological liberalism. So, that would be things like de supernaturalizing the Bible, saying things like, hey, the miracles that we read about in the Bible, those don't necessarily have to have happened, but we can learn something from reading those stories. Or uh, maybe the divinity of Jesus isn't that important to hold to that, but we look to Jesus as a model or an example of somebody who's really grabbed hold of this universal sort of divine consciousness that we all have access to. So so there's, there's sort of these conclusions that we've seen before, but they're married to postmodernism. So if you take theological liberalism and postmodernism, and then you kind of put those things together and drop them right into the heart of the evangelical church. And let me just make one correction to what I just said. When I said theological liberalism, that idea of the universal consciousness, that's something that's a little more new age that's come in. That's not necessarily distinct uh, of theological liberalism. But a lot of those same conclusions, along with postmodernism, a little new age, but it still gets marketed as Christian. So, um, Um, Just very quickly, some of the denials that would be almost universal in progressive Christianity would be a denial of biblical authority. Progressive Christians do not think the Bible is authoritative for our lives. They would deny that our sin separates us from God. There's, uh, largely speaking, a denial of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus and a denial of a literal hell. So those would be very practical things Mm. to look for when trying to identify the movement. Mm-hmm. We titled this episode, Lies Christian Moms Believe, because Katie and I are convinced that the things we believe about ourselves and about God are vital to the spiritual well-being of our children. So while these lies aren't just specific to Christian moms, we wanted to make it very clear that these beliefs will have an impact on our children in one mm-hmm. way or another. So we've got five lies to discuss, and so I say we just jump right in. All right, lie number one is, you are enough. It seems like half of the posts on Instagram right now are, are communicating this message. Except, except Ginger, for the ones trying to sell you something because you aren't enough. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. you will be if you buy this face cream or yeah. you know this Christian self help book. Or if you read book. this book, yeah. you'll be enough, right? You're not enough exactly. until you read this book that tells you you're enough. Then you'll be enough. Yep. and yeah. it's only twelve ninety nine. Exactly. So, yes. Elisa, it just seems that it just seems like so many Christians have bought into this lie that we are enough or that we're basically good. Um, so, why is it such a temptation to believe this, and why is it harmful for parents to teach it? to their children. 
Right. And it you're right. It is so tempting to believe it because it sounds positive, right? Some of these lies we're talking mm-hmm. through today, it's not like it's a lie that is so easy to spot because it's negative. It's it's something that's really, you know, speaking something um horrible into somebody's life, it sounds like the thing you'd want to say to somebody if they're having a rough day, if they're feeling down on themselves. You want to, with all your heart, say, you're enough, you're good. You know, you want to encourage them. So I get it. I get why it's so um, deceptive because it sounds like like the right thing to say. The problem is, is that underneath that message is this idea that we are inherently good. And the problem with that is that if we tell ourselves that, if we tell our children that, you know, what? You're perfect just as you are. You're inherently good. There's nothing outside of yourself you need in order to uh, to be better or to receive salvation. That's a really dangerous message because then essentially what we're handing our children is a solution to a problem that won't solve it. Right, so if Ali Bestecki in her book uh, "You're Not Enough and That's Okay," she she wrote the self can't both be the problem and the solution. So I think if we look out mm. through just human history, any honest person who's taken even a cursory look at human history will have to be intellectually on and honest enough to say there's something wrong with human beings, right? There's just, there's something wrong with us. Look at all the genocides, the wars, look at uh, Nazi Germany, all through history. And that was nothing new. There's something wrong with people. And then our temptation is to think, well, I'm better than that. So I'm okay. Or my kid would never do that. But the problem is there's somebody better than you. And then there's somebody better than that person and somebody better than that person. You can go all the way up the chain and you're still going to find the most perfect person you could find apart from Jesus. Jesus falls short of God's perfect moral character. And I think that's what we fail to grasp. We always think, well, I'm better than the next guy, so I'm good. I'm enough. But the problem is when we give our kids that, we take away from them the opportunity to practice biblical repentance. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we take away from them the opportunity to recognize, hey, I'm I'm actually not enough, and that's good news because I never can be enough. So, so when we burden our children with this message that you're enough, what we're essentially saying to them is you have to solve your own problems with only the tools you have inside of yourself. Well, that's that's just a damning message to give to kids. Now, at the same time, I, I really want to say that, you know, with my kids, I don't walk around telling them that they're worthless or that they're worms and <laughs> things like this. I think it's very important that as Christians, we have that doctrine of the Imago Dei, right? Every single person who's ever been born has been made in the image and likeness of God. And because of that, they have inherent value and dignity and worth. I want my kids to grasp that. I want them to get that in their bones because that's going to affect how they treat other people. But, and there's a big but, we have all distorted that image in one way or another with sin. And that's going to look different on everybody. That's why we need something outside of ourselves. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we need Jesus, the only person who has lived a perfectly sinless life, uh, to take our sins upon himself so that when we put our trust in him, his righteousness becomes ours. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see that. He sees the righteousness of Jesus that gets 
that's imputed to us. And that's such an important message for kids too, because it sets them free from these unrealistic expectations that they have to be perfect or solve their own problems. I think it's great to just say, you can't solve your own problems. Your, your heart by nature is, we're kind of broken. We need to be fixed. But the good news is we know what the cure is. We know where to look for that fix. That's right. You know, it's hard for me to imagine how we can read the whole counsel of God and come away believing that we're basically good deep down. Like, you know, we're all just a chunk of marble and all these self-help books magically chisel away at the rough exterior to reveal a fine piece of art underneath. But, you know, it's ridiculous to believe that if you've ever read even one of the Apostle Paul's letters, not to mention everything Jesus spoke. (laughs) So everyone wants to remember Jesus's compassion, but forget his honesty with sinners. Mm. And Elisa, it made me think of something really neat that you did at the conference I attended. And you put up a photo of your daughter. Do you remember that? Yeah. When you put up the photo and then you you asked us a question. Can you just share what that was? Yeah. So one of the things I like to do, and this sort of ties in with what you just said, because you mentioned if you're considering the whole counsel of God, all of these messages you they won't get very far with you. And I think that's part of the mm-hmm. problem is that a lot of the women, even Christian women who are buying some of these books, they're not in the Word every day. So they're not seeing how drastically different these messages are from what God has revealed to us in His Word. And so to help demonstrate that, um, when I gave that talk, I started out at the beginning of the talk talking a little bit about my kids. I showed a couple of pictures. And then about an hour later, I come back to it and I put up another picture to talk about my daughter once again. Only what the audience doesn't know is that this picture is actually not my daughter. I I found a picture of a little girl that looks just like her. She has the same color hair, same brown curly hair, snow white complexion, brown eyes, looks just like her. And then I'll always ask the audience, now how many of you spotted that actually this is a different person? And I very rarely, every time I give that talk, I very rarely have very many people who raise their hand. And if they do, it's because they've heard the talk before or maybe they know me or something like that. <laughs> well, that's uh, or not Or maybe fair. they've listened to this <laughs> podcast. You know, now they'll hear there anybody you go. listening I've ruined to this it. podcast. <laughs> Spoiler alert. You know I know. But for, you know, the point being is that for people who don't know my daughter, it was really easy to fool them with a counterfeit because they don't know her that well. But I guarantee you that if I had a family member in the audience and they hadn't heard the talk before, the second, I mean the split second, that I put up this picture of this other little girl and start calling her my daughter, they would have been so confused. They would have been thinking, Mm why does she have a picture of someone who's not Dylan up there and talking about her like she's her daughter? And it wouldn't have even registered as something they even had to think about. They would just know it because they know the real thing. And so that's what I try to encourage women when I go do women's conferences is it can feel overwhelming to to be bombarded with all of these lies. But if we know the real thing, we can relax because when the counterfeit comes across your social media newsfeed or your TV or your podcast you're listening to, whatever it might be, you will instantly spot it because you know the real thing so well. So we gotta be in the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So uh, just to reiterate, the lie is that you're enough. And the truth of God's word is that 
Jesus is enough. And that is good news. That's the good news. That's right. Well, Lisa, let's talk about line number two. You are the boss of you, which is also known as you deserve to be happy. And Mm. we fully expect the world to live this way, but it's alarming to see the number of Christian women who have embraced this belief. So how has progressive Christianity managed to sell these women on the lie that their goal in life is their own happiness? Yeah, man, that's a big question because it comes in from so many different avenues. We see this reflected in people uh, changing their views on sexuality. We see this uh, informing how people are going to go about defining words like justice and goodness and beauty and all of these things, but they're using the self as the, the sort of compass by which to define those words rather than using scripture. So what we often end up with is a very self-focused view of, hey, like, for example, sexuality. If it's something that makes me happy, if it's something that causes me, in my own opinion, to thrive and feel like I, I feel free and all of this, then it must be good and the Bible must be wrong. And so mm. what we see is people using the self as the compass to orient themselves to the rest of the world. And so when we see you are the boss of you, now in, there's a sense in which, of course, we are all responsible for for our actions. There are consequences for our actions. We're we're responsible for ourselves, right? We are in control of those types of things. We have a freedom of choice to choose to rebel against God or to obey Him. Certainly that's true. But there's this message out there that wants to say, you need to put yourself first and whatever, whoever you have to step on to get there, whatever you have to do to get out, you know, if, if the window shuts, to pry that window open and walk through it. And so we're seeing an epidemic of women leaving their husbands and their families just because they don't feel particularly fulfilled. Now, I'm not talking about uh, instances of abuse or infidelity. That would be in a different category. But I'm talking about women who are just like, man, I didn't get a chance to really let my wings fly. And I'm this this marriage, this family is holding me back. So I'm going to put myself first. I'm going to be the captain of my own ship here. And I'm going to go out and make myself happy. In in fact, one place that this is shockingly uh, making its way into the church, there was a book a couple years ago called Untamed. And this book was wildly popular. It was, I think, the third highest selling book of the year a couple of years ago by a, a woman who started out as a Christian mommy blogger. It's Glennon Doyle. And then she ended up writing books, going on Oprah, getting a great deal of success in the mainstream. And in the book Untamed, it's it's basically the story of her deciding to leave her husband and marry another woman. And the whole book is an apologetic for her making this decision. And at one point, she, she talks about motherhood. And she says, we as mothers have to model for our children what it means to live a full life, to pursue happiness, to not settle for anything less than what would make us completely and totally fulfilled. And then she makes a statement that in order to be a good mother, she had to leave her husband and follow through with this lesbian relationship. Mm, And she says, because, mm. you know, mothers have to do hard things and frames the whole thing uh, under the guise of putting her children first. And this, I mean, this is how deceptive these messages are. And I personally know a family where one of the, the, spouses in the couple read this book, 
ended up coming out of the closet, leaving their family, and they have just left so much pain and so much struggle and suffering in in their wake, but all in the name of doing what's right and good and living their truth and you know speaking truth to power. They're framing it in all sorts of ways to justify it, but they have left their family in utter ruin. And that's the result. I think that's a practical result of some of these messages in these books. Mm. Oh, that is so sad to be living in that kind of deception and then leading others astray into that same deception. Mm-hmm. You know, the bottom line, the truth is the Bible is the boss of you. Our authority right. is not what we want and what we think is best. Our authority is the God, the word of God. That's, That's right. right. Well, and, you know, to your point about marriage and and people leaving their marriage for the sake of their happiness, I think what a lot of Christians just need to wrap their heads around, and um, myself included, is that God cares. Yes, He cares about our happiness, um, but not my fickle version of happiness, and certainly not to the expense, at the expense of my holiness. Mm. And um, and I think that's what a lot of these folks, you know, jumping on this train have done. Mm-hmm. They have just forgotten that God cares about their holiness. Yeah. All right, so lie number three is probably the favorite of most who have been confronted with their own sin, and that is you shouldn't judge unless you're judging people for being judgy. (laughs) Alyssa, how has progressive Christianity capitalized on this culture of supposed tolerance? Mm. Yeah, this this is one I think every Christian has faced especially in the age of social media. You either post a Bible verse or you share your opinion on some type of biblical morality, and immediately people start saying, you shouldn't judge, you shouldn't judge, you shouldn't judge. In fact, what's really interesting about this whole concept of not judging is back about, I think it was 2017, I wrote a review of one of these really popular books that a lot of women were buying into. And in my book review, I pointed out just some logical fallacies that the book had committed some ways in which it disagreed with biblical principles. And I received a ton of emails over this one particular book review. A lot of them were positive, but a lot of them were really hateful, really angry. And one in particular was from a young man who messaged me and said, um, you shouldn't judge. You shouldn't judge her for what she's teaching. Now, you, but this is where it's so hypocritical and really self-refuting in a logical sense because that's exactly what he was doing. He was judging me for judging her, and then if somebody judged him for judging me, they would be ju- You can't avoid it. <laughs> yep. We all make judgments, right? We all <laughs> right. do it. Um, and so, so I think what, it's, what we really need to do is recenter that discussion around Scripture, right? Because this is what I call the atheist favorite Bible verse. When Jesus said, judge not, lest you be judged. Everybody <laughs> quotes that. I've even seen it in mainstream television shows to defend all sorts of things. You shouldn't judge. And it's true. Jesus said, judge not, lest you be judged. But you can't just pluck that one little f- sentence out of its context and not consider the rest of the context within which Jesus was talking. And so what Jesus was talking about is he was talking about judging in a hypocritical way. And, you know, we all know the story, don't try to take the speck out of your brother's eye until you take the plank or the log out of your own eye. But then Jesus says, then... If you take the plank out of your own eye, then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Mm -hmm. So the point is that we should actually be trying to help each other 
uh, have each other's backs, so to speak, when it comes to the specks we have in our eye. If I have some sin in my life that I don't see, if I have a blind spot, I pray and I hope that my godly friends will rally around me in love and say, hey, Lisa, I think there's something you don't see here. Maybe consider this. Talk to the Lord about this. Mm. Um, Because we need that for each other. And we are actually commanded as Christians to do that for each other. Um, So Jesus isn't saying you should never make a judgment about someone's moral choices. He's saying, don't do it hypocritically. I shouldn't Mm. confront a, a Christian sister for maybe gossiping or backbiting if I'm publicly slandering someone else and speaking lies about someone else, that would be very hypocritical of me. So what what I think Jesus is telling us to do is take a look at yourself first. Talk to the Lord about what's going on in your own heart, in your own life. What do you need to repent of? Then you will be able to see clearly to help your brother take the speck out of his own eye. And even further proof that Jesus wasn't saying we should never do that is, uh, I believe it's just a couple chapters later, it might be in a different gospel, where Jesus said, judge with right judgment. So he's actually commanding us to judge with Mm -hmm. right judgment. So we want to do it righteously. We want to do it unhypocritically. Um, We don't want to have that hypercritical spirit that's just looking for what we can call out and what, you know, heresy hunter type of, of mentality. But at the same time, sometimes biblical love requires us to confront each other in our sin. And I've had people do that in my life. And, uh, I, I've got, you know, with my new book coming out, I tell a story where somebody confronted me on an eating disorder that was really out of control in my life many years ago. And it didn't go well. I didn't receive it very well at the time, but it was really the catalyst that started my healing. It caused me to confess it to my husband for the first time and get it into the light. And then the Lord has taken me on such a journey from there. But it was because of the courage of this one Christian sister who loved me enough to confront me. And she's a people pleaser. It wasn't easy for her. It's not something she reveled dinner and enjoy, but she did it the right way. And even though initially I didn't receive it very well, the long-term effects were so fruitful in my life to bring healing. And so it's important that we we keep it in perspective and do it the right way. But just to throw out the phrase, you shouldn't judge, anytime someone makes mm-hmm. a judgment, that's judging. You're judging them for judging. So it's, it repeats right. itself logically too. That's right. And I appreciate you sharing that testimony. That was a a really good testimony of to what that verse is actually talking about and the way that we are to approach uh, talking with other people about uh, things that we see in their lives that might not be glorifying to God. And it's because we love them. We want what's best for them. We want them to be obedient to the Lord so that they can bring him glory and experience the blessings of walking in his ways. And I totally agree. I think the reason this belief is so dangerous, um, you know, even to Christian moms is those who believe it and preach it to their Instagram congregation are not demonstrating to their kids how to judge rightly. I Mm. loved how you said that, how to judge rightly. If we just tell them, don't be judgy, then we aren't equipping them to be discerning. If we ourselves cannot identify false teachings within the church, then we aren't equipping our kids to do it either. That's right. Listeners, that's all for this episode, but please join us next week as we continue our conversation with Elisa Childers. We're going to let her leave us with a final word of encouragement next week, so you're stuck with me this week, and here's my final word. You don't want to miss what Elisa has to say next week, so make sure you're subscribed and receive alerts so you can always know about new podcast episodes. 
Well, thank you, Elisa and Ginger. And thank you listeners for joining us. If you enjoyed our show and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. And while you're there, can you leave us a rating or a review? This is a huge help to get the word out about our podcast so that other parents can be encouraged to reach the hearts of their children. Do you have a parenting question? We invite you to submit it at gingerhubbard.com slash askginger, and we'll do our best to answer it in a future episode. And while you're on the website, you can find our show notes, which will include links to anything we mentioned in today's episode. Also on gingerhubbard.com, you can find Ginger's wonderful resources that will help you get to the heart of outward behavior and address it from a biblical perspective. Today, we're offering a 10% discount on her audio series, Reaching the Heart of Your Child, which is available in CD format or as a digital download. This three-session series is based on the content of Ginger's best-selling parenting book, Don't Make Me Count to Three, and it addresses topics such as how to reach the heart of your child, how to give a biblical reproof, and the biblical use of the rod. The digital download is perfect for our international listeners because there are no shipping costs, and if you enter the code parenting at gingerhubber.com, you can get 10% off. If you'd like daily encouragement and parenting advice from Ginger, be sure to follow her on Instagram at ginger.hubbard. Speaking of encouragement, Ginger is now offering live stream presentations for MOPS, that's mothers of preschoolers and other moms groups. So for more information, have your group coordinator fill out the contact form at gingerhubbard.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to being with you again next week. Until then, may God bless you as you seek to reach the hearts of your children for the glory of God.